Hello and welcome to the Decrypting Crypto Podcast. It's October 13th and this is Off Chain, your weekly recap of the biggest stories in Web3. I'm Matthew House Barbie. And after a brief two-week hiatus, I'm here again with Austin Knight. How are you doing, Austin? Doing well, Matt. Uh, yeah, it's good to be back here talking about the interesting things that are happening in the crypto Web3 blockchain space, man. We've got a lot that happened while we were out on holiday. Yeah, yeah, we we certainly have. We take a couple of weeks off and uh, turns out the whole world goes to shit. So, uh, <laughs> you know, we, we best keep recording. Um, yeah, we're going to... Uh, it's it's worth kind of calling out the start of the episode. We're gonna take a slightly different turn for especially like the first uh, story that that we're gonna dig into. And we're gonna talk a little bit about wider macro right now because um, it's it's all related. And we're gonna dig into them some crypto specific stories. But we're gonna have an interesting story uh, and discussion kind of to to talk through today. So without further ado, let's jump into our first story of the day. Pound sterling, a currency very close to my heart and unfortunately my pocket, has seemingly turned into a shitcoin. Um, it's operating kind of comparable to uh, Luna right now, which isn't great, Austin. I will will tell you that for free. Uh, <laughs> well, <clears throat> you know, I the, so I'm going to talk a little bit about the the UK economy and the pound sterling crash, something that I have quite a vested interest in, but I thought it's really interesting to talk about um, <clears throat> what we're ultimately seeing play out across the entire global economy right now, which is governments who control fiscal policy wrestling with central banks who control monetary policy. I think there's no better illustration of this fight right now than in the UK. And Understanding the factors at play here are pretty fundamental to understanding how decentralized finance and wider crypto uh, is both impacted by this and how it also, in very different ways, struggles with similar challenges. So let me just give a very high level on like the state of play right now. So the pound sterling hit an all-time low against the US dollar on the 26th of September. Um, it hit one dollar three to seven cents. Um, that is an all-time historic low. Now, the dollar is on an absolute tear, but this is different. Um, despite interventions from the Bank of England, which is our central bank, uh, so similar to the Fed in the US, um, it saw a brief <laughs> recovery, but uh, it has continued to slide. And Today and tomorrow are particularly important days for reasons I will dig into shortly. Um, now, as I mentioned, you know that the dollar's been on a tear since the start of the year. It's outperformed most major currencies globally. I think actually, um, Austin, what's the uh, what's the currency that they use in Brazil? It's not the peso, is it? Uh, the real. The real, yeah. So I think Brazilian real, yeah. Yeah, the the Brazilian real and then the uh, the Russian ruble is. I think that only two currencies that have uh, out of like the major like 30 major economies that has actually outperformed the dollar. Um and it's really only the ruble that that has to be honest at any uh, any kind of level. Brazil have kind of just kind of maintained a little bit here. But 
you know, the euro hit a 20-year low against USD. I think it was at like 95 cent um, and pretty much came to like one-to-one with with USD recently. Uh, uh, Japan has been having serious issues with uh, the yen. It's been sliding so hard that Japan has become buying up yen for the first time in 20 years. Um, Now, if you've been following how the central banks in Japan have been dealing with um, the the yen sliding and having a much more kind of dovish approach on interest rate rises, it's almost the polar opposite of what's been happening in most of Western Europe and, to be honest, most Western economies. Now, while the past few months have seen pound sterling largely follow the same pattern as the euro and other currencies, this past three weeks in particular have been different. And it's putting both the UK economy and the wider global economy in a in a very challenging position. It, and it's actually worth pointing out that things that happen in the UK economy very rarely bleed over into the the wider global economy. I think this is like one of the first times in a long time that economic uncertainty and turbulence in the UK has started to really spill over into the wider global economy. And we've heard um, the likes of the uh, the IMF, the Fed also raising concerns that these the impacts of what's happening in Britain right now are more likely to get us closer to a global recession, uh, be at least one of the, the big contributing factors. So before I before I dig into like the what like the why behind uh, the, this, this this is happening, I want to get into like why crypto investors should actually care about this because um, we are talking about fiat currency after all. And I think if uh, I'd probably break it down to three areas, right? So crypto assets have unfortunately shown to largely be correlated with wider macroeconomic sentiment, particularly with US and European equity markets. So when macro is bearish, so is crypto. The second thing is, you know, rises in interest rates mean that borrowing is more expensive. This means less capital is being injected in uh, to assets and less capital is being deployed on an investment level. And on top of that, just like pound sterling devaluing means import costs increase, thus fueling further inflation, which in turn requires more interest rate hikes from the Bank of England, which means an even slower recovery from the pain that we're in right now and the impact spilling over into the global economy. So not to sound too much of a doomsday uh, kind of bearer uh, in all of this, but I want to like set the scene into why I think this is important. And what I think is kind of interesting, Austin, in, in a lot of this is, you know, me, me and you have talked a lot about, you know, currencies sliding and um, countries going through like hyperinflation and seriously high inflation. But it's nearly always our discussions are in maybe Latin America, maybe sometimes like uh, smaller developing countries. Pretty rare that we're talking about what is ultimately a, a major um, kind of global economy being impacted by by this kind of stuff and that's what's that's what's happening right now right yeah it is uh wild albeit not historically unprecedented i think it's especially wild for you know folks like you and myself who have gone through basically our entire generation hasn't experienced 
something like hyperinflation in the West, uh, you know, if you, at least in the US, uh, were around in the 70s and 80s and everything like that, you would have experienced something similar to this. Although, again, in the US, we're, we're creeping up on all time uh, <laughs> inflation uh, rates, you know, so even though our currency has performed strong against the euro, which I just benefited from <laughs> over the course of the past <laughs> couple of weeks while I was in Europe, um, it was unreal, unreal, great time to go to Europe, guys, uh, until it gets cold. <laughs> um, yeah, well, that's uh, that's our ammo, yeah. uh, unfortunately. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Not not to make a joke of that. It's absolutely terrifying. And it was really wild to see that. But I, I think that, you know, this is we're, we're coming on some hard times that maybe, um, you know, like I said, we haven't experienced as much in the West recently and for our generation, but something that is certainly not historically unprecedented and uh, I think can get worse. You know, maybe that's yeah. one of the, the scary aspects of this. Definitely. I, I think is almost certainly going to get worse. I think we've gone through such a sustained period of low inflation, actually. Um, and largely since the um, 2008 financial uh, crash, you know, it's been pretty much up only since then. So people really, for a long time, haven't felt inflation in the ways that it's being felt right now. So let, yeah, let, let and me the problem with that Part yeah, of the ahead, problem sorry. with that is that, uh, you know, that uh, upward momentum in the economy was somewhat artificially inflated, again, speaking from the U.S. perspective, by the Fed taking on rampant uh, quantitative easing policies mm -hmm. for, you know, the last decade plus, right? And especially over the course of the past two years, you know, printing some, somewhere around 80% of our entire monetary supply, trillions of dollars um, yep. in, in a couple of years time. You know, I, I think that if you if you've been paying attention to um, central banks and their monetary policy, you know Japan, EU, UK, the US, uh, this is something that people close to those matters have been calling for years. In fact, you know it really you could argue was starting to happen in 2018 or 2019, and then the pandemic hit and we got a huge adrenaline shot. Uh, you know, by way of a ton of money being printed, something that Brazil didn't do. Actually, you were talking about how the Brazilian yep. real was outperforming. Uh, you know, for the entire their entire current presidency, what they've been doing is buying down their uh, their debt, their national debt, and it's almost all completely paid off. Um, and I think that you can start to see that playing out in their currency. Obviously, Russia is an outlier because they froze their uh, their exchange rate. But for us, you know, here. Uh, in the EU, in the UK, in the US, Japan, the, the West, for lack of a better term, um, the bill is coming due for our monetary policy over the course of the past 10 plus years. And I think that we've gotten used to, you know, this this fake money and this wild policy that also, by the way, is historically unprecedented. So our historically unprecedented, you know, growth and lack of inflation is met by historically unprecedented. Uh, some may say reckless monetary policy as well. And you can start to see some of that unraveling here. It's been it's it's really been the perfect storm. And and I think the, the this couldn't segue better into kind of where I'd like to just zoom in a little bit into the UK economy, because I think all of what you've said is uh, is true and what we're discussing here, Austin. And then we've had like this additional kind of variable of chaos that's happened in the UK that's just exacerbated all of this, just as uh, the Bank of England, like other central banks have been focusing on like 
fiscal tightening uh, and like having kind of a, or at least quantitative tightening and like stopping this like printing of uh, of cash, raising interest rates, et cetera, et cetera. Things have been turned on its head a little bit in the UK. So it, for, for all of you listening, in case you've been a little bit too deep in DeFi and NFTs to, to notice, the UK government has just been through a pretty significant leadership change. Um out of the frying pan into the fire, it would would seem as is often the case in the UK. But yeah, you know, th- this this has happened in the midst of a European energy crisis, which is honestly going to get far far worse than than today. It's been fueled by Russia's war on Ukraine. We've also seen uh, kind of double digit inflation in the UK. It's causing a cost of living crisis and a massive deficit off the back of the the stimulus packages being granted during COVID, which you were just talking about, Austin, right? So, you know, COVID just really exploded these stimulus packages, which was just mass quantitative easing, mass printing of of money. And so that the new, the leadership change in the UK government, we now have the new prime minister, Liz Truss, and the the um, uh, Chancellor of the Exchequer, uh, Kwasi Kwarteng, they've, they've now decided as part of their, I quote unquote, mini budget, which is honestly the most hilarious use of the word mini because there's nothing mini about it. Um, they they will be creating huge tax, tax breaks for the highest earners in the country, uh, as well as for companies, all of it being funded by more borrowing and austerity measures that impact those most in the need of kind of financial support. Now, I'm going to kind of park the social impact because I could talk about this for, for days. But the, the the interesting piece in all of this is the idea that they, they're, they're very kind of fixated on around like the, the fallacy of trickle down economics being like the solution to all of this. But ultimately, the market's responding by saying, okay, it's one thing to do tax cuts, but how are you funding all of this when you have an unbelievably high deficit? They've already had to backtrack on one of the um, tax breaks they were doing for uh, the the higher earners. They're considering literally today, this news broke a couple of hours from while we're recording now, that they may also backtrack on the um, cuts in corporation tax. But what happened in all of this is it sent uh, the, the, this kind of turbulence and uncertainty, the government only being in power for probably about a month or so now, and they're just flip-flopping around on their, their policies and going really head-to-head with the Bank of England. It sent the UK bond market into turmoil. So yields on gilts have seen record increases. And just to add more confusing terminology here, gilts are what in the UK we call government bonds. Uh, so similar to how in the, the US we have treasuries. You know, when, when governments want to raise money, they issue bonds and they, they, they take on borrowing and they pay out uh, an interest payment, which is often referred to as like the yield that uh, they have when when gilt yields go up, just like US treasuries, it means it becomes more expensive for the UK government to borrow, right? Because they're paying out larger interest. Well, the UK recently passed a landmark, not one that they're going to be proud of, uh, in the the debt ratio to GDP just passed 100%. Just like letting that sink in for a moment, the debt, the deficit that the country has is the same, well, actually now is more than the entire of its gross domestic product. That is not good. And this is only going to increase. And considering the government is planning on increasing borrowing further, at now even higher costs, 
this is only going to get worse, which then again, is, is this like vicious cycle. Now, an, uh, uh, so something that I thought was particularly interesting in all of this is an unexpected outcome of the increase in gilt yields has kind of been seen within the UK pensions market. So pension funds, if you didn't know, are off, are often like some of the largest holders, uh, some of the largest funds in the world and are often like some of the biggest buyers of government and corporate bonds. In the UK, they're some of the largest holders of UK gilts. And what they'll, what some of these funds uh, refer to in the UK as liability-driven investment uh, funds, they hedge their exposure to gilts. So what they'll do is they'll uh, take out like derivatives that require cash to be held as collateral. They're just basically almost like an insurance if um, uh, gilts uh, perform badly, basically. Now, in in many cases, if like the yield on gilts start to steadily increase, well, you know, these, these pension funds, they can slowly unwind some of their other positions to just top up the collateral that they hold in cash on these derivatives. Similar to in DeFi, when people are uh, getting close to being liquidated and they have to top up their collateral, right? Now, gilt yields soared in the space of 24 hours to record like increases in in a single day of trading. Many of these pension funds were getting margin calls on their their LDIs, which means literally like their collateral was going to be like wiped out, which would be enormously devastating for any pension kind of funds and people that rely and have funds in a pension in the UK that uh, would be exposed to this, which is a large amount of the market. But what was happening here is they had to then sell assets to top up their collateral. In many cases, their most liquid assets to sell were gilts. So to top up their uh, collateral, they're selling UK government bonds, which is then putting more downward pressure on the, the, the price of these bonds, which means they're then getting more margin calls on their hedging strategies. And it's just this kind of vicious cycle that's continuing to play out. And the central bank in the UK, the Bank of England, has been forced to support the gilt market by literally, and this is what I was kind of talking about, right, going back to quantitative easing by spending more money, £65 billion buying back gilts over the past two weeks. It's set to end on Friday, um, which is set to cause some serious pain. They're also going to have to raise interest rates even more aggressively. And, you know, overall... It's not great. The effects of this have been spilling into global markets. This rarely happens in the UK. But this just kind of goes to show this like bashing of heads that's happening in the UK between fiscal policy being set by UK governments uh, and the, the Bank of England kind of having a completely different um, approach. The, the, there's just a lot of turbulence. And I think we're going to see this all come to the fore through the European energy crisis that's going to happen. And I think the too long didn't read on all of this is this is going to definitely impact crypto. It is not immune to this. It is going to see far reaching kind of impacts in at least the short and medium term. Um, but yeah, I thought it'd be interesting to dig a little bit into this because I think we're in for a bit of a roller coaster ride, Austin. Yeah, I think you're right, Matt. I mean, as, as much as the goal and the aspiration for crypto is for it to be a hedge against 
inflation or destructive, uh, reckless monetary policy. Um, you know, so far it's pretty well pegged to, uh, <laughs> exchange rates, markets, uh, you know, uh, quantitative easing versus tightening. So central bank policy, fiscal policy, all of these things. And uh, so I think it is, uh, we, we, we should expect this to affect crypto. I think that um, we can see, you know, we're, uh, this is not something that is uh, totally unique to the UK. It's somewhat, uh, you know, to your point, odd and unprecedented throughout the UK's history. And of course, you know, the first time that you all are, are dealing with something like this in modern history, post-Brexit and everything like that. Um, mm. But we know that uh, the EU's policies, Japan's policies, the US's policies, uh, Canada's policies, all of these central banks are kind of heading in the same direction. Obviously, right now, we're waiting for CPI uh, numbers from the U.S. as well, which uh, mm -hmm. most likely are not going to be that great. I think is kind <laughs> of the consensus. And what you know, what we can probably expect is additional seventy-five-ish point basis hikes throughout the rest of the year. And and I think that Jerome Powell has pretty clearly indicated that 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 will likely not slow down into twenty twenty-three as long as we see CPI continue to be at an unsustainable level. I mean, which makes sense. Like if you. Think Think about it. Yeah. You know, you've got, um, say, a three percent mortgage rate, but uh, the the inflation rate is eight percent. That's a that's um, a negative uh, five percent real interest rate, right? So uh, you're basically being paid to have a loan in that case. That's obviously very unsustainable. So to my earlier point. The bill is coming due here, and I think that there's some pretty strong alignment globally amongst central banks that, yeah, interest rates are, are going to have to go up, and it's going to cause some pain. We could be looking at a global recession here, and certainly that is going to impact crypto. Um, I think you know we, we're, we're seeing uh, Bitcoin right now literally reacting to uh, anticipation around just around CPI numbers and heading below a trading price of 20K. So... Something yep. to certainly keep an eye on is uh, central bank uh, policy and government fiscal policy going forward, because it's going to be a canary in the coal mine for uh, what we're going to feel in terms of crypto impact, but also real life impact, which I think matters a lot more here to the point around folks dealing with uh, the energy crisis in Europe. Yeah, one hundred percent. And I think you know the 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 last thing that, uh, that that we actually haven't mentioned in all of this. One of the things I am almost positive is going to happen, certainly in Europe, um, almost certainly in in the U.S. As we start to see kind of further interest rates, and I agree with you, I can't see anything less than continued seventy five basis point increases in interest rates. Um, which is a housing market crash. Uh, we're already starting to see in early stages a commercial property kind of uh, pullback where a lot of, like I was saying, these these large funds, these pension funds, they're trying to offload their assets, starting with their most liquid, but we are going to see some serious movement in the property markets with people's uh, with leverage being more expensive, people's mortgages increasing, um, and just generally like a lack of activity on that front. So, yeah, lot to be positive about. Well, why don't we uh, why don't we dig into something a little bit 
more lighthearted. Surely we've got some good news in terms of an exploit or some kind of hack that we can dig into, Austin. So why don't we dig into our second story of the day? The Solana DeFi trading platform known as Mango Markets has lost $100 million in an exploit. Now, if you're not familiar with Mango Markets, it's a Solana-based platform for spot margin and perpetual, perpetual futures trading on the Solana blockchain. And it was drained of a, a little over $100 million in funds due to an Oracle price manipulation exploit. Uh, and you know what's wild about this, Matt? I mean, this is just such a common theme over the course of the past year plus, is that this actually wasn't the only $100 million exploit in the last week. In fact, $100 million was stolen from the Binance smart chain last Thursday as well. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, wild I th- times. I think there was, um, I think there was like an uh, there was another hundred million dollar hack that happened as well uh, last week, and I'm trying to remember where it was. And I mean, we call this, I say, a hack. I think this is what I would bucket more into like an economic exploit, more so than yes. just a straight up hack. Which is which, what makes this kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, it's a uh, yeah another one of many. I mean, we don't even bat an eyelid now at a hundred million exploit. Oh, right. This absolutely. Like... In fact, I think you know when this news broke, you and I were kind of pondering whether it's even worth covering because <laughs> yeah, it just right, right. Was in comparison, <laughs> some of the larger numbers that we've seen have just been incredible. But uh, yeah, to be clear, this is an exploit. It's not a hack. Uh, what happened was the attacker temporarily drove up the value of their collateral that they put into Mango Markets and then took out loans from the Mango Treasury against it. And I'll go through the details of how all of this unfolded. But something interesting to keep in mind here is that Mango Markets was already aware of this risk and they had actually mm-hmm. called it out. This was really just an economic exploit that the uh, attacker took advantage of. So how did this go down? Uh, there's a really good breakdown from Joshua Lim on Twitter. We'll link to it in the description. And effectively what happened is that 6.19 p.m. Eastern time, the attacker funded an account, we'll call this account A, with $5 million in USDC collateral. The attacker then offered out 483 million units of Mango perps, which are perpetual contracts, on the Mango Markets order book. Then at 6.24 p.m. ET, so five minutes later, the attacker funded another account, we'll call this account B, with $5 million USDC collateral to buy those 483 million units of mango perps at a price of $0.03 per unit, okay? So they funded one account, account A, with $5 million, put those mango perps on the market, and then funded another account, account B, with $5 million and bought those mango perps at a price of $0.03 per unit. Then at 6.26 p.m. ET, so two minutes later, the attacker started moving the mango spot market price, driving the price to $0.91, and the value of the 483 million mango to $423 million. Wow, so, that's pretty nice. Yeah, impressive, <laughs> certainly. Yeah. Um, so once this happens, this is where the exploit really takes place. The attacker took out a $116 million loan, leaving Mango's treasury with a negative balance of $116.7 million in the hole. And the assets drained here include USDC, Solana, Bitcoin, USDT, Mango, the 
the list goes on. Uh, effectively, it wiped out all of Mango's liquidity. So wow. incredible economic exploits to the tune of $116 million here. It's pretty, pretty impressive. Uh, you got to say it's uh, wild that the the attack was able to move the the spot on the um, uh, that that much in just ten minutes. Kind of crazy uh, to to be yeah. honest. With I mean, I say just ten million, but to be able to have, like exploited this much with just 10 million usdc it's kind of wild to me um but yeah it's uh it's crazy what happened next so mango markets ended up of this is just classic (laughs) they've disabled deposits oh yeah straight uh, on the playbook i feel like there should be like a a (laughs) meme that's like step one disable deposits (laughs) step two publicly apologize step three (laughs) say that those disabled deposits will be unlocked in just a matter of time step four go bankrupt uh i think that's like the 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 DeFi playbook right yeah yeah it sure does sound like that they're also taking (laughs) steps to have uh third-party funds frozen they offer the attacker a chance to collect a bug bounty in exchange for returning the stolen funds it's a good attempt Mm -hmm. but it actually gets more interesting the exploiter ended up coming back and posting on uh mango's um forum or or whatever you call it governance their governance exactly yes their governance platform um, and proposed to send back stolen funds, this, the, the funds that were stolen, if Mango's treasury uses the $70 million that it has available in USDC within its treasury to repay some bad debt within the mm. protocol. Yeah, so this almost sounds like a, a little bit of a, like a, a very uh, targeted, maybe um, yeah. ideologically motivated attack. Not totally clear, but uh, apparently this bad debt stems from a bailout that Mango Markets and uh, Solana's their their leading uh, lending platform Solend put together for a large Solana whale that had two hundred and seven million dollars in debt spread across multiple lending platforms. And oh, at one wait time, a minute. Yeah, I think we covered this. Yes. I was trying to connect this together. We this was the 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 whale that had the collateral that was getting margin called, right? Uh yes. Ah, wow, okay, right. This is kind of, yes. this is wild. Okay. I didn't realize this twist in the story. This is interesting. Yeah, so you'll recall that when we talked about this a while back, uh, at one time the whale had borrowed 88% of the available USDC on Solent, and that's what created these concerns over margin calls. And so uh, this bailout was put together over uh, the concern that should the SOL token drop by another 20%, the whale's positions would be liquidated, which would cause contagion and adversely impact the Solana ecosystem, which we had been seeing happen with the likes of Luna uh, and Terra yeah. at the time. Um, yeah, so I there remember. was a lot of fear around this. And I remember we we had the story, this was going back now earlier in the year, it was a similar thing in the phantom ecosystem where someone was going to get margin call, there was going to be mass liquidations. It was like the March-April time. But yeah, I, I remember when this was happening, I was watching it live over Twitter as they were like, I think the Solend like founder was like trying to reach out to the whale and then they, they reached out to the whale in like the last minute and they topped up their collateral. It's just a wild yeah. time. But yeah, yeah, it's crazy. 
Yeah. Now, interestingly, uh, part of the ultimatum is looking for a promise from Mango that it will not pursue a criminal investigation or freeze the exploiter's funds. So they're is looking it, to, do... to get out of this without consequence. <laughs> I wonder I wonder with that is like, is that actually even Mango's call? I guess also, is this even a oh, I guess it's market manipulation, but it's it's really difficult to know. Um mm-hmm where this kind of sits. And even if like Mango don't want to actively pursue anything, whether that even matters, uh, you know, because this could be independently pursued. It's interesting. I mean, this feels almost like the craziest version of like uh, an activist investor kind of, kind of going wild here, but I'm going to be following this. This is, uh, this is the kind of drama that I am here for in fairness. Uh, But We'll we'll have to see how uh, how this all plays out, but certainly uh, a big twist in in that story that I that I wasn't yeah, expecting. Yeah, it's an interesting one to continue paying attention to. But from exploits and burning money to burning some art, we've got <laughs> an interesting twist in Damien Hirst's story up next. For any of you that have been following the NFT scene during the 2021 bull cycle, which I imagine many of you were, uh, you might remember Damien Hurst, the famed uh, British artist, uh, launching his NFT project called The Currency. Well, I I think this is a very interesting kind of uh, concept. I, I really liked it at the beginning. And uh, there's, I'll, I'll dig into why we're kind of bringing this up now. But just as a recap, Hearst launched kind of his first NFT collection. It was last year. It was called The Currency. It was made up of 10,000 NFTs. Uh, it cost $2,000 at the time of minting. You could pay in ETH or a bunch of other crypto if you, if you like. Um, and NFT holders had the choice to either trade in their NFT to get a physical version of the artwork. So Damien Hurst actually produced 10,000 pieces of artwork um, that all corresponded to an NFT. If you traded in your NFT and received the physical version of the artwork, the NFT would be burned. Um, Or you could keep the NFT and then the corresponding physical artwork would be burned, like literally, like in a fire. He, He just started on Tuesday of this week beginning burning the physical artwork. And I think this is a very interesting experiment uh, uh, on a social level to kind of just give us like a very small sample size, albeit, but people showing the how much they value the digital or the physical version of uh, artworks. And, you know, just like having a little look, right, The those that opted for the physical artworks were 5,149 and those that chose to keep their NFTs were 4,851. So I think physical artworks probably won that war. Um, <laughs> or, uh, the, uh, the, the, the other interesting thing is to see the spread between the secondary value right now of the physical artworks versus the floor price of the NFTs. So right now looking just on some of the different auction sites, on average, like ballpark here, the the, the physical artworks are going for around about $25,000, maybe $20,000 at the lower end, whereas the floor price on the NFT is 5 ETH, uh, which is about $6,500 right now. So again, 
physical artworks also win that battle. So I think it's just very interesting as an experiment on how we value digital versus physical artworks. We will see how over the space of maybe the next five years, the um, NFTs and physical artworks kind of trend in valuation. But I really loved this project. I thought it was something very interesting, something very new, and just really tapped into both like the technological layer, social experiment, and just showing uh, kind of a different way to kind of build a, a, an art project like this from obviously a well-renowned famous artist. Yeah, super interesting experiment. And I, I, I'd be so interested to see like if this, if he started burning art maybe six months ago, eight months ago, um, mm. what the floor price would have been then. And it, like if that dynamic shifts as a result of the macro environment. But I think it does feel pretty intuitive to me that at least right now, you know, at this moment in time where the tech is, that the physical art would win out. But what would, what would have, you, what would you have chose uh, Austin if you, if you'd, have, if you'd have bought one? You know, Matt, I, I'm uh, obviously a web three maximalist and I still would have chosen <laughs> physical art. Yep. <laughs> uh, I, I, yeah. I yep. would rather have the physical art in the same way. I would rather have a, like a, a physical car and a physical house. But I think that that's just partially a function of where the technology is at and the role that it plays in our lives right now, which is likely to change in the future. I mean, maybe, you know, if I say we're running a business in 1995, I would have chosen to spend more on billboards than I would have on like digital ads or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, if I were running a business today, obviously the inverse would be true. So things can change. But yeah, what we, would you have gone for physical uh art too? Yeah, I'd have gone for the physical art. I, I'm a I'm a big fan of Damien Hirst in general, so I'd love to to have that. Yeah, I think um, yeah, I think for 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 certainly that project, I would have gone physical art. Um, kind of kicking myself that I didn't uh didn't buy one at the time, but you know, I had plenty of other ways to burn my money. So you know, <laughs> we'll 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 we'll, we'll this all those point. Lambos. I know and... <laughs> exactly, or shit coins. Uh, one of the two. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right, let's jump into our last wrap up question. Uh, wrap up story of the day. All right, just a quick mention here. You've probably heard about it. Google has selected Coinbase to take cloud payments with cryptocurrencies. Oh. So what this means is that Google is going to start allowing a subset of customers who pay for cloud services through the Google Cloud platform um, to pay with digital currencies early next year using Coinbase as the facilitator for the transactions via Coinbase Commerce. Um, so initially, this is just going to be a handful of Web3 uh, GCP customers that will get access to this, but they plan to eventually roll it out more broadly. But here's the interesting thing, Matt. In classic Google fashion, Coinbase will also be doing a little bit of a favor here and will be moving some of its applications to Google Cloud away <laughs> from AWS or Amazon Web Services. So who'd there's who'd a little bit of dog fooding. <laughs> 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 well, I think, you know, this is really good for so, uh, like a, a real acute pain point that I have definitely found from being in the Web3 space, especially when you're running a Web3 project that largely operates in crypto, um, especially if you're operating as a DAO, you know, it's very hard to pay for things with fiat. Like many Web3 projects, especially DAOs, they don't have bank accounts. They don't have fiat. They have a treasury made up and held up exclusively as USDC. Paying for things in fiat is really difficult. So being able to pay for like, yeah, cloud services in 
the native tokens that you uh, that you own, whether that be USDC, Tether, whatever. It's infinitely easier. It just like removes an enormous amount of friction that exists today. So I'm I'm really happy to see this happening, and I hope that we start to see more services being available that service like the the um the invoicing of fiat uh currency uh that can be paid for through an intermediary via cryptocurrency because i think it's uh it's it's going to be a massive massive uh pain point for more and more companies so very yeah, interesting it is it's it's super interesting i love to see it and i think it's another signal of coinbase's place in the market and certainly their brand presence, um, you know, the Kleenex of, uh, of tissues, the Coinbase of crypto, as you may say, um, <laughs> an interesting partnership. And uh, I, I think, you know, I, I love to see what's happening with Coinbase right now. I think um, it's always been smart to pay attention to uh, Coinbase's evolution and their strategy. Uh, right now is especially an interesting time because they're going through lean times. Obviously, we've covered their layoffs coming off of the huge uh, run-up that they had over the course of the past couple of years and their IPO and everything like that. And now with this sort of shift toward focusing on different revenue models, subscriptions, and all of this, I'm really, really interested to see where Coinbase goes from here. Obviously, you know, as, as somebody that's also working in, in the space, you know, in some ways for, for a competitor, uh, I think we're all root, rooting for the likes of, of Coinbase and its competitors to, to do well over the course of the next couple of years and lay some good groundwork. And this is an interesting development in that direction. 100%. Yeah. Looking forward to how it all plays out. All right, Austin, we're pretty much at time. Um, thanks again. And uh, yeah, hopefully, my entire country over here will will not just be a blazing inferno and the pound will be worth less than Luna Classic. But if not, I'll see you next week for another episode of Off Chain. See you, Matt. Contents of the Decrypting Crypto podcast should not be used and are not intended as investment advice. Please do your own due diligence before making any investment, cryptocurrency or otherwise.